those lines do indeed have some sexual significance. And the judge fell silent, contemplating the unusual acts suggested. I see they are doing Aladdin at the Tufnell Park Empire. Do you think the twins might enjoy it, Rumpel? The speaker was Mrs. Justice Erskine Brown, Phyllida Trant, as she was in happier days, when I called her the Portia of our chambers. Still possessed of a beauty that would break the hearts of the toughest prosecutors, and make old lags swoon with lust, even as she passed a stiff custodial sentence. The twins she spoke of were Tristan and Isolde, so named by her opera-loving husband, Claude, who was now bending Hilda's ear on the subject of Covent Garden's latest ring cycle. Oh, I think the twins would adore it. Just the thing to cure the Wagnerian death-wish and bring them into a world of sanity. Sanity? The visiting judge sounded doubtful. With old guys dressed up as mothers? Oh, I promise you, they'll love every minute of it. And then I made another promise that sounded rash even as I spoke the words. I, I know I would. I'll take them myself. Thank you, Rumpel. Phyllida spoke in her gentlest judicial voice, but I knew my fate was sealed. We'll keep you to that. It'll have to be after Christmas, Hilda said. We've been invited up to Norfolk for the holiday. As she said the word Norfolk, a cold, sneaping wind seemed to cut through the central heating of the Erskine Brown's Islington dining room, and I felt a warning shiver. I have no rooted objection to Christmas Day, but I must say it's an occasion when time tends to hang particularly heavily on the hands. From the early morning alarm call of carols piping on Radio 4 to the closing headlines and a restless liverish sleep, the day can seem as long as a fraud on the post office tried before Mr. Injustice Graves. It takes less than no time for me to unwrap the tie which I will seldom wear and for Hilda to receive the annual bottle of lavender water which she lays down rather than puts to immediate use. The highlights after that are the Queen's speech, when I lay bets with myself as to whether Hilda will stand to attention when the television plays the national anthem, and the thawed-out Safeway's bird followed by port, an annual gift from my faithful solicitor, Bonnie Bernard, and pudding. I suppose what I have against Christmas Day is that the courts are all shut, and no one is being tried for anything. That Christmas, Hilda had decided on a complete change of routine. She announced it in a circuitous fashion by saying, one late November evening, I was at school with Poppy Longstaff. What's that got to do with it? I knew the answer to this question, of course. Hilda's old school has this in common with polar expeditions, natural disasters, and the last war. Those who have lived through it are bound together for life and can always call on each other for mutual assistance. Poppy's Eric is rector of cold sands. And for some reason or other he seems to want to meet you, Rumpel. Meet me? That's what she said. Uh, so does that mean I have to spend Christmas in the Arctic Circle and miss our festivities? It's not the Arctic Circle, it's Norfolk Rumpole. And our festivities aren't all that festive. So, yes, you have to go. It was a judgment from which there was no possible appeal.
My first impression of Cold Sands was of a gaunt church tower, presumably of great age, pointing an accusing finger to heaven from a cluster of houses on the edge of a sullen gunmetal sea. My second was one of intense cold. As soon as we got out of the taxi, we were slapped around the face by a wind which must have started in freezing Siberia and gained nothing in the way of warmth on its journey across the plains of Europe. In the bleak midwinter, frosty winds made moan, wrote that sad old darling, Christina Rossetti. Frosty winds had made considerable moan round the rectory at Colesands. Owing to the doors that stopped about an inch short of the stone floors, and the windows which never shut properly, causing the curtains to billow like the sails of a ship at sea. We were greeted cheerfully by Poppy. Hilda's friend had one of those round, childishly pretty faces often seen on seriously fat women, and she seemed to keep going on incessant cups of hot, sweet tea and a number of cardigans. If she moved like an enormous tent, her husband Eric was a slender wraith of a man with a high aquiline nose, two flapping wings of grey hair on the sides of his face, and a vague air of perpetual anxiety, broken now and then by high and unexpected laughter. He made cruciform gestures, as though remembering the rubric spectacles, testicles, wallet, and watch, and forgetting where these important articles were kept. "'Eric,' his wife explained, "'is having terrible trouble with the church tower.' "'Oh, dear!' Hilda shot me a look of stern disapproval, which I knew meant that it would be more polite if I abandoned my overcoat while tea was being served. "'How worrying for you, Eric!' The Reverend Eric went into a long, excited, and high-pitched speech. The gist of this was that the tower, although of rare beauty, had not been much restored since the Saxons built it and the Normans added the finishing touches. Fifty thousand pounds was needed for essential repairs, and the thermometer erected for the appeal outside the church was stuck at a low hundred and twenty, the result of an emergency jumble sale. "'You particularly wanted Horace to come this Christmas?' Hilda asked the man of God, with the air of someone anxious to solve a baffling mystery. I wonder why that was. Yes, yes, I, I, I wonder. Eric looked startled. I, I wonder why on earth I wanted to ask Horace. I, 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 I don't believe he's got fifty thousand smackers in his back pocket. <laughs> At this he shook with laughter. There, I told him, your lack of faith is entirely justified. I wasn't exactly enjoying Cold Sands Rectory, but I was a little miffed that the Reverend couldn't remember why he'd asked me there in the first place. We had hoped that Donald Compton would help us out, Poppy told us. I mean, he wouldn't notice fifty thousand, but he took exception to what Eric said at the Remembrance Day service. Armistice Day, in the village, Eric's grey wings of hair trembled as he nodded in delighted affirmation. And I prayed for dead German soldiers. Why, well, it seemed only fair. Fair, perhaps, darling, but hardly tactful, his wife told him. Donald Compton thought it was distinctly unpatriotic. He's bought the old manor house, she explained to Hilda. From then on, the conversation turned exclusively to this Compton, 
and was carried on in the tones of awe and muted wonder in which people always talk about the very rich. Compton, it seemed, after a difficult start in England, had gone to Canada, where, during a ten-year stay, he laid the foundations of his fortune. His much younger wife was quite charming, probably Canadian, and not in the least standoffish. He had built the village hall, the cricket pavilion, and a tennis court for the school. Only Eric's unfortunate sympathy for the German dead had caused his bounty to stop short at the church tower. I've done hours of, of, of hard knee work, the rector told us, begging the Lord to soften Mr. Compton's heart towards our tower. No result so far, I fear. Apart from this one lapse, the charming Donald Compton seemed to be the perfect English squire and country gent. I would see him in church on Christmas morning, and we had also been invited for drinks before lunch at the manor. The Reverend Eric and the smiling Poppy made it sound as though the Pope and the Archbishop of Canterbury would be out with the carol singers, and we'd been invited to drop in for high tea at Windsor Castle. I also prayed for a yule log blazing at the manor, so that I could, in the true spirit of Christmas, thaw out gradually. Now, as a sign of Christmas fellowship, will you all stand um, and shake hands with those in front and behind you? Eric, in full canonicals, standing on the steps in front of the altar, made the suggestion as though he had just thought of the idea. I stood reluctantly. I'd found myself a place in church near to a huge, friendly, gently humming, occasionally belching radiator. And I was clinging.